Hi, I'm Father Anthony. Oh, hey, Anthony. Great to meet you. That sort of exchange is actually quite common for me whenever I meet some, some non-Catholic Christians. I'll introduce myself, as I always do, as, hey, I'm Father Anthony. But then the responding acknowledgement is sometimes quite emphatically, quite pronouncedly just, oh, hey, Anthony, great to meet you. Now, of course, I never correct anyone who ever would do this, even if it makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. I think it would be very obviously inappropriate and rude to insist in that moment anyways to be referred to as father, especially when you consider the fact that for at least some of our non-Catholic brothers and sisters, this is actually a very, very serious issue. It strikes at the heart of their conscience. After all, Jesus says point blank in our gospel, call no one on earth your father, for you have but one father in heaven. And so there's something good about that, right? They don't want to disobey the Lord if that's something that he's prohibiting, and that's a good thing. Some people take those words extremely literally. And I guess the snarky side of Father Anthony wants to then ask as a follow-up question, well then, why don't we apply that same literalistic interpretive lens to Jesus' other words, where he says, this is my body, this is my blood, my flesh is true food, my blood is true drink. But that's a topic for another day. At any rate, there does seem to be some amount of confusion over what Jesus is actually getting at in this apparent prohibition. Even among some Catholics, there's sometimes the idea that if a priest wants to be referred to as father, it sort of implies pride or egoism on his part. So are Catholics doing it wrong? Are we disobeying Jesus? Are priests being big-headed, rigid clericalists when we introduce ourselves as father? The answer, of course, is no. No. Let's look again at the gospel passage that we just heard this morning. As for you, do not be called rabbi. You have but one teacher, and you are all brothers. Call no one on earth your father. You have but one father in heaven. Do not be called master. You have but one master, the Christ. What Jesus is doing here, according to the scholars, is using a rapid-fire series of hyperbolic statements, over-the-top, dramatic, exaggerated as they may be. Kind of like that other time in the Gospels where Jesus says, unless you hate your father and your mother and your wife and your kids and your siblings, and yes, even your own life, you can't be my disciple. He's using that sort of hyperbolic language to drive home a beautiful truth that all Christians, Catholic and non-Catholic alike, can definitely agree on. That we all belong to God. We all belong to God. He's the source of everything good that we have. He is, in fact, our ultimate teacher, our ultimate master, our ultimate father. In baptism, we are his adopted sons and daughters. We heard this announced so beautifully this past Wednesday at All Saints Day Mass, where we heard St. John, John the Evangelist tell us, see what love the Father has bestowed on us, that we may be called the children of God. Yet so we are. 
Every other teacher or father, therefore, pales in comparison to our divine father. At best, they can only be a, a, a mere reflection, an image of, a participation in the true and eternal, perfect fatherhood of God. As St. Paul puts it in his letter to the Ephesians, God is, quote, the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Or as our first reading from the prophet Malachi put it, have we not all the one father? Has not the one God created us? The scribes and the Pharisees of Jesus' time in first century had evidently forgotten this truth even if they did legitimately take their seat on the chair of Moses, as the Lord himself affirms, going so far as to say, hey, do and observe everything that they tell you to do. But then Jesus warns his disciples, doesn't he? But do not follow their example. Don't do what they're doing. Why? Well, because they weren't practicing what they preached, and they took pleasure in burdening the people who were under their rule, not bothering to help them carry those burdens. They performed all of their good works in order to be seen and appreciated by the world, not to please God alone. They were ascribing the glory to themselves and not to God, our Heavenly Father. They heaped up honors for themselves, taking the best seats, reveling in public approval, finding their identity in widening their phylacteries, right? And so Jesus swoops in, and he teaches his followers a very important lesson. As for you, don't give in to all of that superficiality. You're called to something so much deeper. You're called to find your true identity in God, who has revealed himself through Jesus as Father. That's the proper context for Jesus' hyperbolic, figurative teaching. Call no one on earth your father. You have but one father in heaven. Jesus absolutely and obviously loves fatherhood because he loves God the Father. He greatly desires men today to embody and live out their masculine identity as fathers, in union with and giving all the glory to our Heavenly Father. Now, here on earth, we know that there are two basic types of fatherhood that are at their very best. We all know how many, how many failures fathers have committed, but at their very best, they are intended to be a reflection of and a participation in the one single fatherhood of the living God. And they are these. One, the most obvious, right? Biological and or legal fatherhood. And the second is spiritual fatherhood. Both of these types of fatherhood, biological and spiritual, are patterned off of God's divine fatherhood in many ways. But today I'm going to give you three. Three ways that earthly fatherhood, at its very best, at its most virtuous, points to and reveals God our Heavenly Father. So the first one, a father generates life. From all eternity, God the Father generates his son. They are co-eternal, and yet the Father is the one who speaks the word, speaks the, the eternal word. 
In a family, it's obvious that the father's proper self-gift of himself to his wife quite literally generates new life. What an incredible gift that is. We're really glad here at St. Bede to have so much life being generated, right? So many squirming, crying babies. It's beautiful, okay? I want to make one thing extremely clear. You're most welcome here, and I love hearing little babies. Keep bringing them, because we want you here, and it shows that our parish is so alive. As for our spiritual fathers, bishops and priests, they also generate new life, but in a much different way. We generate spiritual children through the proclamation of the gospel by making sure that you all have access to the sacraments. As a result, people are converted and are given not merely biological life, but eternal life, the salvation of their souls. One other note on this, being a, a spiritual father generating life, one of the most heartwarming things that I ever receive are letters from our, uh, our Sunday school kids who just start off every, every letter saying, Dear Father, Dear Father. One of them, I remember, it was like, Dear Father, thank you for being my priest. <laughs> so cute. Missed the E. That's okay. That's number one. A father generates life. Number two. A father forms, disciplines, and instructs his children. So God the Father, he has spent all of human history sharing truth with us, his beloved children. He wants us to know him and has formed us into a people of his very own. He's provided trustworthy sources to know this truth, and he disciplines us when we wander off. In the traditional family, fathers play a crucial role in modeling virtue of handing on family traditions, of teaching right from wrong together with, with his wife, of providing appropriate punishment when rules are broken, of forming the kids in the Catholic faith, of teaching them how to have a relationship, a real like, intimate relationship with the Lord, how to pray. Spiritual fathers also have that grave responsibility to form and instruct their flock, to teach the truth clearly, to hand on the authentic unchanging magisterium, the teachings of the twelve apostles as received through divine revelation. In our first reading from the prophet Malachi this weekend, the Lord warns the priests of the consequences of not doing so. Quote, you have turned aside from the way and have caused many to falter by your instruction. I therefore have made you contemptible and base before all the people, since you do not keep my ways. It's a grave responsibility to form, discipline, and instruct children, whether biological or spiritual. Number three, a father guards and protects. God the Father is a strong father who protects all that is good, true, and holy. He is a jealous God who will not be mocked. He rises up to defend the widow and the orphan, the oppressed, the weak. The father of a family is supposed to image this by protecting his loved ones and from, from any kind of harmful materials, from unholy influences. He sets boundaries and defends his own heart first and foremost, and also the heart of his bride. He helps her to do that. He engages in spiritual warfare on behalf of his family, strives for excellence in virtue, and humbly repents of his sins if and when he fails. A spiritual father, too, is meant to protect the flock even at the cost of his own life. 
He guards them from incorrect doctrines, from the subtle lies that are just so pervasive. He offers penance and intercession on behalf of his people. He's crucified with Christ in order to deliver his spiritual children from all danger and harm. My, my brothers and sisters, my spiritual children, you are my spiritual children. You call me father. Fellow men, especially. Our greatest enemy, Satan, hates God the Father. And so he obviously and necessarily hates the fatherhood that God wants to create in us through the grace freely given of Jesus Christ. Our deepest identity is under attack so often. The devil wants us to be wishy-washy, lazy, self-indulgent, and most paralyzing of all, afraid. The church desperately needs real fathers right now, both in the pews as husbands and dads and in that presider chair right over there as well, right? We need fathers. As St. Paul once said, though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. This week, the church celebrates National Vocations Week, and we really shouldn't equate holy vocations simply with vocations to the priesthood. We also need valid, sacramental, sacrificial, open-to-life vocations to holy matrimony in the church. That is the natural Christian vocation, and the vast majority of people are called into holy marriages. But regardless of whether you might be called, if you're a young man sitting there in the pew this morning, regardless of whether you are called to be a priest, a husband, or a monk, or whatever, a deacon, each of these vocations are different ways of becoming a father, of becoming more and more like our Heavenly Father, of giving Him all the glory. And ladies, don't worry. I'm not forgetting you in this homily. It has been absolutely for you as well, because here's the, here's the truth, here's the deal. You deserve authentic fatherhood. You deserve true masculinity, real masculinity, not the, not the caricature or the stereotype that our culture props up. If there are no authentic masculine fathers in the world, then it follows that there will be no mothers either. There's a kind of necessary complementarity that brings about fruitfulness and flourishing and goodness, wholeness and holiness. Mothers living their identity out faithfully encourages and empowers us fathers to live up to our identity and vice versa. Maybe you noticed, but in our readings this weekend, we also got some beautiful references to motherhood. Psalm 131 says, and I'm taking the, the bravery translation because it's pretty close to my heart, as a child has rest in its mother's arms, even so my soul. And again, St. Paul in his letter to the Thessalonians today said, we were gentle among you as a nursing mother cares for her children. So we need both, right? We need men and women, fathers and mothers. They're not in competition, as the world wants us to believe, and they are not interchangeable either. We're different for a reason, and that's a beautiful gift, as well as a beautiful challenge today, right? But at this particular moment in history, I believe that, that we especially need fathers, both biological and spiritual fathers, to really step up and take responsibility. We need to own up to our failures, and respond to God's call to generate new life, to form and instruct our children, 
to guard and protect everything that is good, holy, and true. Our Father who art in heaven desires us to have a heart like his. And so Jesus, please help us. Come Holy Spirit and make us more like the Father.